You, you may be seated. Tommy Walls coming along to lead us in our scripture reading tonight, and, and we'll be looking at the book of Galatians. Turn there with me, please. Galatians chapter 1, and he'll be reading from verse number 1 down to the end of the chapter. And I'm thankful to the Lord for these men, Tommy Wall and his wife Maggie and Trevor Luke and his wife Ann and Paul Reachon and his wife Joanne. These are faithful deacons of the church, been serving for many years. Tommy and uh, Trevor, of course, been here for many, many years. I still remember when Tommy was saved. And uh, Tommy was the first man I ever baptized. And uh, he was there at the first baptism. He and Becca Wigley, I baptized Becca first and then on that day and then Tommy. That was in September of 2011 and uh, 11, almost 11 years ago. And thank the Lord he's been with us all this time. Somebody told me a long time ago when I first started working with travelers, Tommy, if you, if you haven't figured out by now, Tommy and his wife are Irish travelers. Somebody told me a long time ago, don't get too excited because they'll never stay. They're travelers. Tommy's been with us 11 years. And he's still here. And he often reassures me. He says, I'll never renege our church. I'll never turn away. This is my church. And uh, I'm encouraged by that. And thank the Lord for his faithfulness. He's going to lead, lead us in our scripture reading. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1 down to verse 24. I, Paul, an apostle, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the church of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we be an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto them which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For I do now persuade men, our God, or do I seek to please men? Or if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For I never received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelations of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited the Jews' religion above it, many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles I saw none, same, save James the Lord's brother, now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards I came unto the region with Caesarea and Sicilia, and was all known by, unto the face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. And uh, we trust that God will bless the reading and the hearing of his word. We've begun a study through this book of Galatians. And I remind you that this is an extremely significant book. In fact, somebody once said that no book 
uh, in all the Bible was more used during the time of the Reformation than the book of Galatians. Now, of course, all of Scripture was used, but particularly this verse helped release people who had been in, in the bondage of man's oppressive religion. No book did that like this one because Paul lays out, in fact, that's the battle that Paul is fighting. I remind you just briefly the purpose of this book. Now, this book was written about 50 AD. That's what they imagine about 20 years after the Lord Jesus' death. And uh, this was written to be sent throughout the churches of the region called Galatia. Now, throughout that region of Galatia, heresy had begun to spread already. Now, you think that the early church had been established less than 20 years. Less than 20 years. And already, like an insidious disease... From one church to the next, disease, heresy had begun to spread. Now, if heresy was spreading that early, how much more do we have it today? And so all the churches of Galatia were addressed here. In fact, not just all the churches of Galatia, but all the churches of time would be addressed by this letter because it would be included in the canon of Scripture. Now, the source of heresy is extremely important because Many, many people are deceived, not just biblically deceived, but culturally deceived by a variation of the truth. In fact, we're living in a world of deception, an age of deception. And that has not just permeated pulpits and churches, but it's permeated governments and all sorts of seats of authority. Our schools, just about anywhere where someone has a position of authority, you find this sort of deviation from truth because it's very hard to find anybody that gets any sort of power and authority who remain true, who will remain true to that which is truth. Very, very challenging. And so the source of heresy is very important. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and I'll say most heresy in regards to the Christian faith is propagated through the same source as it was then through the pulpit. To the preachers and teachers, to those who have any sort of influence and power. That's exactly what was happening in the churches of Galatia, and that's what's happening today. Recently getting a haircut, and the man cutting my hair was talking to me about the church that he follows, and this big famous man that he follows, and and um, and oh how amazing this man, never met this man before, but uh, seen him on the television screen, and all these churches sort of really revere this man and uh, it's, it, all of this, all of this man, all of this teaching has permeated from one church to the next. Now you have thousands, literally thousands, who are being deceived by a man who don't even live in this country. It's amazing. It's unbelievable that a man could live in another country and have such an influence on so many people in this country who they've never met before. Why is that? I think anytime somebody has a position of influence and power. There's a great danger of this because people follow people. It's in us. Few people are born natural born leaders. The majority of people are followers. That's just a reality. And that's not altogether bad as long as they're following the right people. And that is becoming increasingly more challenging to find the right kind of people to follow. And it becomes tragic if the man or the woman or whoever it is that is exalted and whoever has this sort of prominent leadership qualities, it's tragic when he begins or she begins to lead people to himself and his particular view or opinion, which is some deviation from that which is right. This is the problem, I believe, with politics. I'm not going to get into politics tonight. But I think you'd have a very, very hard time to find any just person in politics. I'm not saying it's altogether impossible. Daniel was in politics and Joseph was. But it is very rare to find a truly righteous man of God in a position of a government authority. I think primarily because you really have to promote yourself to even get into that position. And self-promotion is always a detriment to the truth. And so you have in this city, this these cities of Galatia, this region of Galatia, you have this 
exaltation of man. These false apostles had begun, who had begun to gain prominent, they were gaining prominence and preeminence. And the way they were gaining prominence was by attacking the character and calling of the apostle Paul. Now be very careful of a man who builds his ministry and reputation by destroying the ministry and reputation of another person. Be very careful. I can remember several years ago, not long after Tommy Wall and some other travelers began attending the church and we had a great influx of travelers and there were some other folks who were very concerned. Some other churches uh, where a lot of travelers attended, they, be, they became to be very, uh, be very concerned that travelers were coming to our church. So concerned that they had to do something about it because they were they thought they were losing their people. Well, it wasn't that their people were leaving their church and coming to ours. It's just that travelers were coming to our church. They, some of them had nothing ever to do with their churches. So then they began to say, well, that man, watch out for him. That man is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a sheep stealer. And I remember hearing the reports all coming back to me. People saying, do you know what they're saying about you? And I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. I remember calling my pastor up in America and saying, what should I do? These people are, 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 are saying all sorts of terrible things about me. And he said, suck it up. <laughs> That's what he told me. And he said, suck it up and do not respond. He said, if they are attacking you, do not respond. If they attack your message, the message of the gospel, then respond only with truth. And that's exactly what you find Paul doing here. Paul is not writing this book simply to defend himself. If it was just Paul's character and reputation that was being attacked, then, then that would be fine. But because they were attacking his message, this message of the gospel, it had to be corrected. Because if you remember, as we looked last week, if any other gospel be preached, then that was big trouble because if you preach another gospel, then you immediately take people away from the true gospel and you lead them to destruction. And Satan is so clever that he knows that he doesn't have to come up with some, some gospel that is so totally foreign and so totally against the one true gospel. All he has to do is deviate slightly. And in a slight deviation from the very beginning... Long down the road, it would be very much off course. And that's, it's not just religious leaders who understand that. There are all sorts of political leaders and other people who understand that if they begin to make adjustments little by little here, then further down the road, they won the big battles. And that's the way oftentimes that you have this kind of manipulation coming through society and in particular churches. Little subtle adjustments and attacks. These false apostles and false prophets, uh, they were, they were uh, apostles of the circumcision, apostles of the Pharisees. They were of the, of the sect of Pharisees, and, and they were be beginning to impose and add to the gospel. They even had the audacity to say that we be apostles of Christ also. And they had a lot of authority and power. And they were highly revered and looked up to. They spoke something like this. Uh, we are true Israelites. Uh, we have the promises of the fathers and, and uh, we be apostles of Christ and we be disciples of his apostles. We've seen the apostles miracles and they probably perhaps even perform some miracles themselves. The Lord Jesus said, after all, didn't he? Uh, that there would be those who do signs and wonders who would be of the stock of Satan. These men began to attack the authority of the Apostle Paul and tried their best to deface him. And it sounded something like this. Why do you look up to Paul so much? By the way, listen to these questions. I'd be very wary of somebody who says these things to you. Why do you have such reverence for him? But you know, Paul didn't even really know Jesus. He wasn't even following Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. So come on, he didn't even, Paul didn't even spend time with the disciples. And he was persecuting the church. And after all, he's one man and we're many. That sounds an awful lot to me like the Roman Catholic Church anytime you try to say something about uh, the truth of the gospel and it contradicts some of their faith. 
Not just that, but any, any others. And uh, these were arguments that have been used throughout the centuries. And so with great subtlety and deceit, these men began to attack the message. And they attacked the message by attacking the messenger. And the gospel of God's grace had been perverted. And now you have a group of churches who once believed that Jesus was enough. They once believed that Christ died on the cross and it was the grace of God that brought unto us the gift of salvation. We didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to go to the synagogue. You didn't have to perform any rituals. You didn't have to go to church and put your money in the bag. It had nothing to do what you could do, but it had everything to do what God had done for you and how he had expressed it through the death of his own son and the victory of his son raising from the grave. And so this message of simple grace had been perverted. That's what was happening. The gospel of God's grace had been perverted to a gospel of works and tradition, which was no gospel at all. And so for this reason, the letter to the churches of Galatia was written. I remind you again, if it was simply an attack on Paul's character, this letter would have never been written. But because it was an attack on the gospel, it had to be written. Paul had to respond, especially if he really was an apostle. If he really had a shepherd's heart, he had to respond and get it right, lest multitudes be led to hell. And as we looked last week, Paul began this book, this letter, by articulating the true gospel. He began by making clear what the real gospel is. Somebody once said the best way of showing that a stick is crooked is by putting a straight one next to it. And so the way that Paul began to expose their false teaching was by simply laying down the truth. And I think what we need more than ever these days is for people who simply stand up and lay down the truth. That's all. I had a man call me uh, today from Cumbria, 88-year-old gentleman, concerned about his granddaughter. And uh, I've never met him before, but he's come across our, our live streams and come across some of our other men preaching. And he said, I'm so encouraged to hear this kind of preaching. He went on to say, in Cumbria, there's never been a witness of good preaching, even since the days of the, of the, of the great expulsion, the great, uh, when they, when they kicked out all the ministers out of the pulpit, those who preached the word of God and refused to get a license from the government. And he was encouraged to hear of, of the truth being proclaimed. Now, let's look at a couple of things in our text, uh, this, this evening. Three things. The apostle Paul begins, I believe he begins by explaining and declaring the certainty of his calling. Now, this is important. I believe it's important for every minister of God who stands behind a pulpit to preach the word of God, to know that he'd be called of God. I don't believe it's to the same degree as the apostles, but there's, there is a pattern here for us. Verse number one, I love this. Paul, an apostle. The man doesn't get three words into his letter before he begins to deal with this issue. I am an apostle. The word apostle means a delegate, a messenger, one who's been sent forth with orders. In the first three words of, the, of this book, in the first two words of the Greek, he declares, I have been chosen, given a mission, and I've been sent out. Now, this is very important because these men, these false apostles and prophets, had been attacking the authority that Paul had to preach. They're saying he's not really an apostle. He was never even with Jesus when Jesus was walking on the earth. How do we know? He's supposed to just take his word that he met Jesus on the road sometime? And they were criticizing this man, the apostle Paul. But it's interesting, Paul does not just get up and say, I'm an apostle because I said it. He says, I'm an apostle not of men. Now, I love this. And what he does immediately is show how crooked they were by showing how straight he was. I've been chosen by Jesus, by God. You've been chosen by men. They were all the time banging on about how they, they were the disciples of the apostles, sent out by the apostles. They had the authority. They were going on and on about, about how they were recognized and had all this, all this authority. And Paul said, 
I am not an apostle by man. I'm an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. By God the Father. And this is the mark of an apostle. Chosen, hand-picked by Jesus Christ. You remember Peter and Andrew? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew sitting at the seat of custom. Levi is his, his other name. Follow me. Philip, follow me. The Lord Jesus physically, personally chose and he did the same with Paul on the road to Damascus. Physically, in person, chosen. Chosen by Christ for this task. Now I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe many, if not the majority of men who occupy pulpits today have not been called nor sent out by God. But rather they've been self-ordained self-called, or they've been sent out by men. Go ahead. Now, this is important because if you remember, uh, a brother and I were speaking about this very text, Matthew chapter 9, uh, the last two verses. Uh, Jesus said this, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now, here's what we do. Here's what man does. Look, people are dying and going to hell because they don't know the truth of the gospel. Who will go? Who will go? Raise your hand. And we try to stir everybody up to sign up to go into the harvest field. But Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe many a man has been sent, not by God. Many a man has been excited about the need and we should be. I think every child of God, every Christian ought to be willing. Every Christian and child of God ought to bow on their knee and say, Lord, let it be me. But at the same time, we must be careful that men are being sent by God. Otherwise, it's, it's my word. And somebody says, who sent you? Well, pastor over there in Oxford, you know, he, they had a big service for me and, and, uh, I was sent out. Interesting. By articulating his call, he reveals the error of their call. Sent not by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. I know I really love this. It would have been enough for him to say, Look, I've been sent by Jesus because that's the mark of every apostle. All of the apostles were chosen, handpicked by Jesus. And it, it would have been enough for him to say, Look, I have been chosen by Jesus Christ. But he goes a step further and he says, and God the Father who raised him up from the dead. So here's what he's saying. You can say whatever you want to to me. You can kill me. But he chose me and he's going to raise me up one day anyways. So bring it on. That's the kind of mentality that he has and, and uh, from, the, from the stocks. As the pistol is shot straight out of there, he's laying it down. He has been chosen of God. Now it's very important that we, we see this all through this book. We see this as well in 2 Corinthians, the authenticity of the Apostle Paul's call. Now it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul, he wasn't just attacked in that day, he's still attacked today. Now Paul it was simply an instrument and a vessel through which God worked, just like Moses was, just like David was, just like Peter was. But he's given us half the New Testament. He's given us the letters to the churches. He was the instrument through which God had chosen to give us instructions for doctrine. Much of our doctrine for the churches come from Paul. Not from him, come from God through Paul. He was truly chosen of God for such an occasion. Now it's interesting to me as well because the apostle Paul was different in many ways than the other apostles. The other apostles, and I give thanks to God for this, were your typical ordinary men. Fishermen, farmers. One was a tax collector. They were just your average men like you and I. And I'm thankful for that because it encourages me as I look at the lives of these apostles, of these apostles that God chose 12 very ordinary. The Lord Jesus chose 12 very ordinary men, which means he can use you and I. We don't have to go to Bible college and have some great degree. I can remember a preacher saying you'd probably sometimes be better off not going to Bible college because they oftentimes just corrupt you there. It's not about how... How theologically deep and educated you are. Because the first 12 weren't at all. 
Well, they knew the Old Testament law. They had to. They were Jewish young men. But the Apostle Paul was different. The Apostle Paul, many, many have said, had a colossal intellect. He was a genius in many ways. The man sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He studied the law and knew the, the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. He was a very intelligent man. And you can under, understand it by reading, reading his works. And God chose a vessel that he could use to show it's not about human intellect. Although he had these gifts, it was about the mysteries of heaven. So Paul's apostleship was first declared. The second thing I think is very important we find in our text is we see the certainty of his purpose. Now this separates a lot of men. This separates a lot of men who stand behind a pulpit like this week after week. A lot of men only do what they do to get a paycheck. The Bible calls them hirelings. A lot of men only do what they do to get a following. How many followers they can get on Facebook or Twitter. And uh, how much popularity they can gain. And they want to be as woke as possible. And as up to date as possible. And as smooth as possible. They want to be absolutely as acceptable in the eyes of the world as possible. But not a man who's been chosen of God. Not that man. And we find in this text the certainty of his purpose. Why had Paul been called and why was he doing what he was doing? We find this in verse number 9 after he explained about the reality of a real gospel and a perverted gospel. But he says in verse number 9, As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you. In the previous verse, he said, Though we, even if I preach another gospel. You see, these other men say, Listen to me. Don't listen to anybody else. Paul said, look, follow me as I follow Christ. But if I preach anything other than what I've already preached, you better find somebody else. Now, it takes a lot of guts for a man to say that. It takes a lot of guts because otherwise you could very easily encourage your folks to go find somebody else. But Paul knew that what he had was truth and he'd been sent by God. So instead of trying to attract a big crowd and keep a big crowd, he sought to proclaim the truth, whether people liked it or not. And look at his purpose in verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Three things that have to do with his purpose. Was he persuading man or God? Three questions every minister should ask. Am I trying to convince God that my message is right? Because I've altered it or changed it. Because by the way, if you alter or change the truth in the slightest way, you're going to have to convince him. Because he is the author of all truth. And so if you be a false teacher, a false apostle, if you pervert that which is simply the word of God, then you've got some explaining to do with God himself. But if you have the word of God, if you, like a prophet or an apostle or a disciple, can stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, then the only persuading that you need to do is with man. And Paul speaks about persuading with men. The second question has a different effect. Do I seek to please men or God? I think a lot of men are in the position that they are because they are good men pleasers. They've learned to say what people want to hear. They've learned to put it out there in such a way uh, that makes people feel warm and fuzzy. And so you have a lot of motivational speakers filling the pulpit instead of a lot of truth preachers. Preachers have been replaced by motivational speakers. And the message that motivational speakers often tend to give is very, very little different from a, a secular motivational speaker. You can do it. Your best life now. Purpose-driven life. Just smile your way through and it's going to be okay. Just think it and you'll be it. And all sorts of other nonsense like this. This kind of self-esteem. Now, look, I believe that the Lord does not want you living in misery. I don't believe that. But at the same time, the message that we have is a message of truth. And sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes truth hurts. And if you, if a minister be a man who is simply pleasing men, then he will always very hesitantly 
tell people something that they don't want to hear. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 4, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now you, all you have to do is read Paul's letters and know he's not a man pleaser. Because he is going for it. He often steps on people's toes. He often calls people out. He's never nasty, but he often calls it like it is. He even sometimes calls names. And speaks about Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Diotrephes who loveth to have the preeminence. So he's not afraid to, uh, to step on toes. He's not afraid to call out two women who are bickering and fighting. And say, get it sorted. He's not afraid to call out the sins of a, of a church. The church of Corinth was wrapped up in so many uh, very embarrassing sins. And he called it out and said, you better get it straight lest I come to you and sort you out in person. He was not a man pleaser. So therefore, you, you've got a pretty good idea that, uh, that that sort of eliminates a lot of preachers in the pulpits today. He pleased God, not man, whether you like it or not. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of, the, of that church in Wittenberg, there on the 31st of October, 1517, he did not believe that anybody was going to be happy with him. In fact, it was through much fear and trembling that he did it. But he did know that God would be well pleased. And we've heard before uh, that if a man have God and nobody else, then he has a majority. And the Apostle Paul's method behind all of this, his motivation behind all of this was to please God. He had one desire. He was not trying to persuade God. He was trying to persuade man. He was not trying to please man. He was trying to please God. I wonder today, are you trying to please God or are you trying to please man? I believe many people today are just doing whatever they need to do to get people off their back and just to make everybody happy. And people bow to the pressure because they, they, they don't, they don't want to offend anybody. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 9, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Paul said the things that we do today, we've got to do because they're right. Not because someone expects us to do it. If you bow the knee to, to what society or somebody in, in a government position expects you to do, you'll be bowing the knee every day of your life. And Paul says, I'm going to bow the knee to nobody but Christ. He goes on, whether we labor, wherefore we labor, this is why we work, this is why we endeavor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said, look, I'm living with this in light. One day I'm going to meet my maker. One day I'm going to stand before my creator and give an account for the life that I've lived. And therefore, I better start living for him and stop living for everybody else. Tommy told me many years ago, I was I still, I think, in a, in a, I think I'm a, a young preacher still, but when I was first starting out uh, several years ago, Tommy said, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you cannot please all of the people all the time. That's a good bit of advice. So basically, the conclusion is stop trying to please anybody but him. It's a liberating experience to be able to break free from living to please man. It is liberating to be able to step out of the mold for just a second, out of the cookie cutter, and say, look, I, if you don't like me, I'm sorry. Not That doesn't mean you walk around trying to be a donkey. But it does mean that you are not confined and conformed to this world or this world system. You are free in Christ. You're free to do as much or as little as he would allow you to do. That's not a freedom to go and sin any way you want to. It's a freedom to live without being pressured by the whole world. It is liberating. Now, there's one more thing. One more little question that every minister should ask. And that's, do I persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men or God? And look at the third one there. Uh, or do I seek 
to serve Christ or man. Who are you serving? He says in that little verse there, verse number 10, for if I yet pleased men, I should not be a servant of Christ. One follows after the other. If I've got my message from God, then I'm going to try to please God. And if I've got my message from God and I'm going to try to please God, then it follows that I'm trying to serve God. But if my message is not from God and I think I know better than God and I think I can twist the message and tweak it a little bit, by the way, that's what a lot of people are doing. Sometimes even even some well-meaning, well-intended people have a lot of similarities in the way that we think about, about life and about social structure and all sorts of things. Oftentimes people have a lot of similarities, but then they begin to add a new little twist. They say, I don't really like God's version, so I'm going to twist it a little bit. I like some of the things that you all have to say and that the Christian ethos brings, but I think I know a little bit better than God. And naturally then, you're not going to live to please God. You will then be inclined to live to please man or yourself. And that's just as bad as pleasing man because you're no different from the fallen head sitting next to you. We've all sinned and gone astray. And so therefore it follows that if I have got my message from God and I'm trying to persuade man that this message is from God, then I'm trying to please him and then that means I'm trying to serve him. My whole life is given to serve Christ, not myself, not my way, not my tradition, not this church or that church or this denomination, but Jesus Christ. So many men hinder themselves, they handcuff themselves, they tie themselves up because they put themselves in a box that Jesus never put them in and never asked them to climb into. People all the time trying to figure out where we are. Uh, do you subscribe to this confession of faith or to that one? Or do you, hey, 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 don't you put me in a box? I don't want to be in any box except the box of Jesus Christ. I'll stay in that one till the day that I die, but I don't want to be in any other. Because the moment you put yourself in a man-made box, you're stuck. You have limitations. You've got corners inside.
Jews and Christians, they were trying to combine both together. It just didn't work. And Paul said, I was more religious than you were. Pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. Now, I love this. Look here for one second, and I'll, I'll try to wrap it up with this. The most amazing thing to me is that the Lord Jesus Christ was not revealed to Paul. He was revealed in him. In him. Every minister must have this revelation of Christ in them. Not just to them. When the Apostle Paul was walking on the road to Damascus and the Lord Jesus revealed himself there, it was not just, whoa, that's a bright light. It was, wow, the Lord Jesus is true. This was going on in his mind and heart. All this was right. A revelation was taking place inside of him. It wasn't just that he looked upon it and was convinced. We are so foolish to think that miracles are going to make people believe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but miracles are not going to make people believe unless Jesus is revealed inside of someone. How many times did those multitudes, the thousands, watch Jesus break the bread and he fed them with a couple of loaves and fishes and they still didn't believe? They watched them raise Lazarus from the dead and they still didn't believe. They watched them walk on water. They watched them heal the blind man and they still didn't believe because Christ had been revealed to them. He was revealing who he was. Have these truths been revealed inside? Has the penny begun to drop? Have you begun to realize, hold on a moment. It's true. I can remember when that took place with me. I can remember I was, I was skeptical. I was, I was a kind skeptic. I believed that there was a God. But I can remember when it all began inside to make sense. I can remember... All of it lining up and stacking up and, and like a jigsaw before my own eyes and my own mind all coming together. And I began to realize, whoa, there is a God. And the Lord Jesus is my Savior. And, and I'm going to stand before Him one day. And I am a sinner. I don't like to admit that. I hate it. I don't like anybody to tell me I've done wrong, but I'm, I'm part of the world's problem. The world's problem, the greatest problem in the world is not coronavirus, COVID-19, Omicron, whatever you want to call it. It's not global warming. The world's greatest problem is the ugliness of man's heart. And when I began to realize that is true about me, and all of these other things began to slot into place, that was when Christ was revealed in me. And Paul said that it pleased God to call him by his grace, to reveal his son in him, that he might preach, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Every once in a while, somebody thinks that I need their approval. Every once in a while, somebody thinks, well, hold on a moment now. Uh, let's sit down and we need to figure this out. And the Apostle Paul said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. No, I'm not the Apostle Paul. And so I humble myself and realize there are a lot of things I need to, I need to listen to men. Many have gone on before. Thank God that we have a, a precious heritage of men and women who have gone on before, who've stood on the truth and proclaimed the truth, even been burnt to the stake, drowned, beheaded, whatever else it might be for the sake of the truth. But the apostle Paul said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. By the way, that takes care of one of the Catholic doctrines that say that Jesus was the only child of Mary. Oftentimes they want to glorify Mary higher than she needs to be. She was a great woman, one of the greatest women, perhaps the greatest woman to ever live. But she was a sinner as well. They call it the Immaculate Conception. That her womb was closed up after the birth of Christ. But the Bible talks 
if people would only read the New Testament, talks about Jesus' brothers and sisters. And here's one. I didn't talk to any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Can't get around that one. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And I love this last verse. They glorified God in me. The result of being called of God and preaching for the right reasons and having the right message is that God will be glorified. If it be any other combination, man will be glorified. Man will be exalted. If it be my message, I'm glorified. If it be my calling and my sending, if I called myself or somebody else did, I will be magnified. I will be glorified. If my motives be not right, if I'm seeking to please men, I will be glorified. And Jesus said, you have your reward. And so from the very beginning of this book, now this is so important. I'm going to close with this. I've said it three times, haven't I? This is very important. This book sets the gospel right. It gets it in its proper place. That's why it's such an important book. And that's why it's so important that Paul goes to the detail to say, this is from God, not man. And we'll see that, God willing, in the weeks ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to know, as Paul said, to make our calling and election sure. We pray especially for those of us who proclaim thy word. Help us, Lord, to never seek vain glory. Help us to never seek to be praised of men, to please men. Teach us, Lord, Lord, to fear thee more than man. Teach us to serve thee. Help us to realize we cannot serve man and thee. Help us to break those chains that have bound us for so long. Help our message to be pure. The message that comes from thee, not something that is adjusted and changed with the moving seasons of this, of this culture and of this day. Help us to be faithful to thee and to thy word. Bless these dear people. Keep us near to thee, we pray. Help us to follow the Lord Jesus onwards and upwards. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name.